I practice um, really a lot of things that are in that CEO's mindset. You know, I believe in effort, attitude, and ability. And I, I really drive home in our, in our organization's community, culture, all the things that look like values amongst us as people. So when you like go to Fully Accountable and you look at kind of things about our community and our values, those are really a, a kind of a light shined on me and who, what I stand for, who I am. And so I'll hear all the time, wow, so-and-so is so much like you, not in the- If you are like me, I know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone very special on today because, guys, most of you guys are stuck at that $1.1 million, $1.3 million, and you guys are like, how the heck do I scale, right? I'm doing all the right things, quote unquote. I got an acquisition channel. I'm moving. I'm grooming. I got a team. But how do I really scale to that seven, eight, nine million million? And so we actually have someone on today that has actually built three eight-figure companies. And we're going to dive into his knowledge and his expertise on how to do that. He is unquote, the CEO of CEOs. Now, he is an entrepreneur and a best-selling author who has over 20 years of experience growing and scaling multiple eight-figure companies. His most recent mission is helping e-commerce tech and digital business owners improve their financial fluency and operate their accounting back office as a profit center. Like I mentioned, he has grown three eight-figure businesses with fast growth, many customers, and low margin. He has discovered the issue was that he lacked financial fluency and gave back much of his hard-earned money in cash waste and no margin. With good, no good solution in the marketplace, he has founded Fully Accountable, an outsized, outsourced, full-service, cutting-edge accounting firm that helps e-commerce digital business owners through fractional CFO and accounting services. He has been awarded Digital Marketer of the Year multiple times and has been featured on many top-rated national podcasts and other media outlets such as Business Insider. He has also authored three best-selling books, which we're going to be diving in today, and has guided fully accountable to the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest-growing companies in America. My friend, please welcome the top five outsourced accounting firm CEO by CFO Tech Outlook, Vinny Fisher. How are you doing, my man? Christian, thanks. That's a wonderful introduction. I, I mean, gosh, you should play that back for my wife and just tell her what kind of a big shot I am. That's awesome. Well, maybe I might just have to. And I'm really looking forward to this because um, you have incredible amount of experience. And a lot of times I get seven-figure entrepreneurs on here, which is awesome, you know, mid-seven-figure entrepreneurs, but not three-time eight-figure entrepreneur, right? And so one of the things is, is our audience has a tremendous amount of, um, you know, hurt right now and pain. They had a pivot, definitely COVID, and obviously they're always pivoting. That's just the way of life. But I really want to kind of dive in real quick, the CEO's mindset, your book. You talk about in this book, you've been able to really identify a few critical areas in the company that really need a scale. Hiring practices are inconsistent. No formal online business accounting. Team building and training is lacking. Team got away from a clear and simple marketing message. So with that, from your many, many years in the industry, how were you able to identify those four areas that really help you ex uh, explode your businesses? 
You know, that's a great question. And honestly, it starts with self-awareness. Like when I looked, you know, we're actually here at our fourth eight-figure business now, fully accountable. And so um, not just three, we're doing it again. And so I'm excited about that. But honestly, I only sold one of those eight-figure businesses. I broke two of them. And when I look at where, you know, I sold one of it for parts, which was really the genesis of writing the book. When I honestly took an assessment of what we were doing well and what we weren't doing well in the organization, what bled out of me was kind of this like tactician's book of like, if I do it again, here's how I would do it. And it was like to set, here were the things we weren't doing well. And, you know, when we looked at the people side of our business, we weren't doing hiring well. We were just kind of hiring by breath or accident. There was no purposefulness to it. And then worse, we weren't even coming alongside them and systematically putting process and training consistency with them. And then finally, the thing that led to Fully Accountable was this idea that I would grow up these wonderful businesses. Our team would do all this great work and we'd give a lot of it back because of just not really dedicated to growing process and structure within the operation. Well, and that's interesting. I appreciate you also being, um, you know, kind of transparent and saying that the two that you actually did, they kind of fell into pieces. So let me ask you, when you were kind of analyzing those, right, during that time frame, yep. what did that look like? And what were some of your questions that you asked yourself to really get to the root cause and say, this is the reason why this did not succeed. And this is the reason why it did succeed. It took me a long time to realize one of them that was important is I have this like uh, very quick start personality. Like I, I probably pick me off a short bench of someone to start something. I'm a very zero to one kind of personality person, but I'm not a one to 10 person, which is that person who loves operational consistency and develop, develop structure. I like to launch it. And honestly, I was, I would grab the ball of too many things that required a when to 10 mentality, not a zero to one men mentality. And um, I eventually started to become very aware of those things and hire and bring around me people who love one to 10 more to zero than one. And that was a very painful journey to figure those things out. Because if you're someone who likes to start things, you tend to think you can do a lot and you can solve a lot of problems. But my mind would be to start it, get it moving. And in the way I would think is that would be enough. And then I'd move away from it. And I'd leave a lot, I'd leave a, a lot of like half built bridges to the island. I wouldn't finish the bridge. So I like what you just said that zero to one versus one, zero to 10. And so let me ask you, what is the paradigm shift? What's that mindset? What are those certain things that you're like, okay, this is how to think from zero to 10 versus zero to one. Yeah. The other way around, like zero to one and one to 10. And so the paradigm shift would be very simple like this. It's a starting attitude, like getting something going, even within an existing organization. And then when it goes from like either launch or new to ongoing or maintenance, you you really have to have a pulse at actually improving something, not starting something. And I I have to make sure that I bring along someone in our organization who's going to be there and steward and shepherd improving it, not creating it. And that shift is delicate. And there's not like, it's not four weeks in or eight weeks in. There's a time where like in an organization, an offer or something new or a service has to switch from new to maintenance. And figuring out parts of that is this idea of who should be in charge of operating it. And so like our, here at Fully Accountable, our COO 
you know, when, when we get things moving out of new, you know, Rachel and her team take it out of my hands and they operate it different than it being in like R and D or new launch. So let me ask you, when you're doing a lot of hiring processes, okay, yep. uh, because you you basically create a system that is consistent throughout, you know, the whole thing. Yep. Um, I do know that from business owners that I've worked with, a lot of times the, the bottleneck is themselves, of course, naturally, right? And the yep. thing is, is a lot of times they are involved with every every aspect of their business still. And the biggest thing is also is when they want to hire or like, you know, uh, promote someone, they're promoting someone that doesn't know or hasn't been there yet. And so I'm curious what is your strategy in regard to hiring the right people? And obviously really identifying that a little bit. Yeah. So I, I, I practice um, really a lot of things that are in that CEO's mindset. You know, I believe in effort, attitude, and ability. And I, I really drive home in our, in our organization's community, culture, all the things that look like values amongst us as people. So when you like go to fully accountable and you look at kind of things about our community and our values, those are really a, a kind of a light shined on me and who, what I stand for, who I am. And so I'll hear all the time, wow, so-and-so is so much like you, not in the way I do work, but what we believe in, who we are. And so I believe in attitude and someone with effort first. All things equal, I'll take competence, but I would rather train for that if I didn't have someone with a great attitude, one that would fit into our organization and one with great effort or desire to put in the effort. And so we use things like scorecards. We start grading those things you see in our values for the people we hire because their likelihood of success, if they don't line up on those parts of our scorecard are very low. And so, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade. I don't practice law for other people now, but so, you know, I believe you can train competence far better than you can overcome lacking the right alignment as it comes to kind of the things that matter and the value of the organization. That's actually very interesting because that's very unorthodox compared to like what, what majority of individuals say about scaling businesses that eight figure mark. A lot of times it's finding the who that knows how more than you do. Right. And so it's being able to like delegate that responsibility. And I'm talking about COO, CMO, the, you know, the C, uh, C suite. Yep. And do you find that same thing? Or do you say, Hey, I'd rather, like you just mentioned, I'd rather find someone that has the work ethic, the capability, and then obviously, you know, kind of train the competency. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's what I'm saying as long as like when I, if I'm in charge of it. So let's just role play and say, you know, we come in and get a significant investor and a fully accountable. Someone comes over and takes a majority of the stock. Well, now it's their mindset. It's their imprint on the organization. So they're going to have to backfill the people that live within their leadership tree. And so maybe their competence is more important than the core values that are here. And so then I'd say maybe that would change. But in our design, where we are built over this, you know, more of a design where we'll train you and have very purposeful training. Well, then in 90, 100 days, you can significantly catch up to the substantive part. And then what you need is time in the system to gain wisdom. And, and, and to me, I think as a society, it'd be nice if we had less on this argument around like education wants to get something versus this ongoing education attitude, like, and had more of an apprentice attitude. Cause I think we'd have more stable uh, organizations with probably better leadership. So we're, I'm always developing the second or third person on the team. You know, I'll give you a crazy thing, Christian, for every job right now, there are 1.8 job openings. 
it, it's unbelievable the time we're living in right now. And so we're always building up people. Here's the thought, I'm always losing them then too. Now we don't have a high churn rate, but people take their massive experience they get here and they parlay it into something bigger. And that's part of the system uh, of building it up. But I, I think too many people are trying to hire the expert and they'll blow synergy and they're likely to have an organizational heart attack because the alignment of personalities are awful. So let's talk about that. Why, where did that come from? And was that an experience that you've had? And that's the reason why you believe that. And, and obviously kind of explain that a little bit further for us. So one of those businesses that broke was at the partnership level. We had a bad personality set of some of the operating officers who were also partners in the business. And so I remember days pulling in the parking lot, not even wanting to go into the office. And it was so disruptive. I had, we're, we're a mid eight figure company making a bunch of cash and I didn't even want to work in the business. I wanted to break it because there was such a, a misalignment. Some of us were on mission, some were, some just wanted to make money. Others, like there was such a misalignment that the people we were hiring were also misaligned. It was so, whatever like looks close to toxic without being toxic, it was that. And I just remember saying, you know what, when we're at that point, we have a broken business and I work really hard to not have that. And so I believe in the motto of quick to hire. I also believe in slow to hire. And as long as in both scenarios, you're quick to fire when you have a situation where the wrong people are on the bus. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I appreciate that story because I think that uh, I've never heard that, you know, I've always, like you just said, it's always hiring those experts. So my question now comes to you're the CEO, you want to hire someone, that doesn't really know how to do that position, but you're willing to train them. Yep. But you also don't know how to do that position. Maybe it might be bookkeeping. Maybe it might be some things that yep. are kind of the, what is called yep. boring, right? So how do you do that? How do you properly train them when it's kind of blind leading the blind? Yeah. So the nice thing is, you know, if you actually look at some like stuff like Chet Holmes, like ultimate sales machine and some of his sales structure in there and other good training experts, Usually you don't need underlying expertise to train. You can put structure in for training and go get educational materials. But assuming you don't have some of that resource organizationally, then I would just hire the outside education, a consultant or even a group or some training. We do this all the time. When we're missing a piece of expertise, we just go hire it. We hire it to come in as a corporate trainer. And then really, honestly, um, that commitment isn't a large overhaul because we're already committed to helping our people improve. So we're always asking them what piece they need improvement on. What would you like training on? Because honestly, someone who's more equipped in their role is more objectively satisfied. So we have an attitude of learning. We require it every Thursday at four o'clock. Everybody in our hundred person organization is training on something. Now, they're not all training on the same thing. They could be within different categories, but we have a culture of training here. So if we're missing it internally, the short answer is we hire it. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And um, very, very simple, very simple, easy. So question. Uh, so now let me ask you this. Okay. So we have a lot of our audience, about $1.1 million, $2 million kind of businesses. Yep. Now, like I said, it is about hiring, right? Because it's not just a matter of, you know, acquisition channels. It's now a matter of hiring and really keeping that consistency. Yep. Now, what have you seen as some of the growth pains? What are some things that, okay, should be kind of red flags and say, okay, we're not doing this properly. In some ways, they're like, okay, we, we are doing this properly. We're on the right trajectory. What does that look like? 
in, in regards to hiring. Yeah, I love it. So I do believe that there is a big difference in certain levels of businesses for service companies as product companies, right? right? So today as a product company doing a million dollars in revenue, you probably just got an offer working in the market and you have a very lean staff because you have thin margins. A service company doing a million dollars might actually be a rather more complex, meaning there's more humans around and you're what is going to happen to each of those businesses are going to be different. So in my product companies that we built, it wasn't from going to 5 million that we'd start having. So we could have a runway from 1 million to five before we have a massive overhaul. In a service company, what we've learned is going from 1 million to two are those same problems just sooner because of the complexity. So first, my thing is, which what are you, a service or product company at that level would be one. So let's just play along since eight out of 10 or four out of five businesses in America are service companies. Let's just start there. And when you're $1 million in revenue, there, since most service companies are and make money on knowledge, who you are as an expert, one of the problems that happen as you grow from a million to 2 million is the knowledge drain of one of those experts leave. And so what I encourage is try to put some system and consistency in the deliverable of what you do so you can help um, guard against knowledge drain if one of your experts uh, ups and leaves. And this is what happens in professional firms. There's such knowledge drain. And you know to steal from LeBron, there's not a next man up because w- when that knowledge bank leaves, it's such a damage to the organization. You know, and what's, what's really interesting, what you just said there is I was actually studying the restaurant biz. And this is what I find so interesting about the restaurant biz is because they're able to take anybody off, off the street and all of a sudden they can flip hamburgers, right? They, and McDonald's has a system, a process. This is how many pickles. This is what needs to be done. Boom, boom, boom. And then you just think about that same structure, just elevated even higher, right? And just being able to now. So my next question is, because you're, you're talking higher level stuff. Sometimes right. I mean, very analytical bookkeeping processes, yep. marketing structure processes. So how do you stay consistent with that? And like you said in the book, really being able to build that foundation so that, okay, now when that person leaves, like you said, there's not that massive drain. You have this, do you use Kajabi as, as a resource or what does that look like? We actually, um, early on, we're using all bunch of hybrid tools. We built a thing called your back office. It's our way we run our business. We also use it the way we deliver tools to clients and reports. We initially built it as the way to house our trainings and our library and our documents and store things that were in the cloud. One of the things I think happens in trainings is people want to train on the most extreme, ugliest headache going on right now. And what we came up with, not ours, we just took it and made it better. But like that idea of like training on the 10 core things that are important to what you do as a business and keep training on those things over and over and over. And that's what we do. And that's why like there's a core, you know, I don't know, including contractors, we're over a hundred people, but we can continually train on the 10 things. Now, there's an 11th thing, Christian, like there's this unique, weird thing that comes up or in our world, like what's going on right now? The employee retention credit or some COVID-y type stuff are going on. Those are going to 
disappear as fast as they came in, but we got to deal with them. But we would call that the 11th training, not the regular 10 trainings. And sadly, I think most organizations take those 10 things for granted. They could use to look more like a franchise or a restaurant and keep doing those things because consistency and efficiency are ultimately what thrive over uh, expert or extreme knowledge. And that makes sense because now my question is, is like, okay, you have some of the CEO that produces those, those trainings, right? And a lot yep. of times in video format, because then you don't have to redo, redo it. Yeah. Hey, Billy Bob, watch the video and yep. you don't have to you know, do, waste your, a lot of your time on onboarding, right? But however, though, let's say you have, you've hired someone that's really good at YouTube ads, digital marketing, stuff like yep. that on the front end. Yep. Well, then how do you facilitate, hey, making sure Billy Bob is recording some of his, why he's doing the things, way he's setting up processes, way he's setting up campaigns. Like, what does that look like to make sure that that's staying consistent and then just kind of duplicating that throughout the whole organization? Hey, fulfillment. Hey, how do you success, right? Your success client or success manager leaves. Well, I need to find another success manager to come in and implement what that person was doing and obviously uh, where they left off. So what, what does that look like? Yeah. So there's process and tools out there, but for us, it started with um, uh, Dr. Arwan Gundy wrote a book called Checklist Manifesto. It's not about a list of things you need to do. It's about a list of things you shouldn't forget to do. So in the digital world with websites and ads and tracking audiences, almost invariably, on our programming team, when we were building software, we would almost be shooting ourselves in the foot on the things we forget. So what we started building was this checklist manifesto attitude at our company. Here's the list of things to do your job well. And so can someone else step in and run payroll or uh, actually implement that item for the business? If they can't, then that means that we're missing the documentation in order to do that correctly. And so very regularly, we try to reduce things so that we're just not relying on someone's memory. We're actually reducing it to a not to forget list. And so it's a way to have documentation in your department. And again, there's a bunch of tools out there. So I'm not going to advocate use this tool versus that tool. But this attitude that a department shouldn't have a single point of failure because of someone's memory, it should be documented on how to actually not execute on what things not to forget to execute in that department. And honestly, doing that removes a lot of those repetitive errors uh, that happen within a department. Gotcha. So now, and I appreciate you diving into that because see, one of the things I, I was uh, talking to one of my, um, I think I was reading that somewhere actually, and we were talking about it in one of my business conferences and how you need to have um, X amount of revenue per employee that you hire. Yeah. And my question is, uh, are you familiar with that as well sure. as like yep. where, you know, like there a lot of individuals that we, like I said, about 1.1 million, 2 million, $3 million. That's kind of what that looks like. And so a lot of them are like, okay, yeah, sure. Let me hire people. Right. But also you don't want to be in a situation where, okay, now your payroll is massive. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm not profitable either. It's, it's kind of a balancing act, right? You want to make sure your acquisition channel, you're really profiting on the sales side. And then as well as of course, really hiring and scaling so you can withstand all the, all the new clients. So what is that balancing act? Obviously you've been able to establish and build incredible businesses yourself. Uh, you know, I've gone through the journey of throwing warm bodies at things. I think that's a real thing we get guilty of when, you know, what's the right part of a rocket to hold on to when it fires? I don't know, whatever you get your hands on. So I think when things start taking off, you just start hiring like crazy. You know, I wrote a book called False Profits. And one of the things that we solved or we continue to solve, no pun intended, it's about to say, 
by the way, as an aside, I think every book has a principle. They're not all perfect. You know, I always say that if you're going to read CEO's mindset, just dive into the people chapter. It's the best part of that book. In False Prophets, the best chapter in this book is chapter two. It's all about solving for X. To me, I don't think the right question is how much revenue should you have for an employee? I think we don't reverse engineer the profitability of the company. And for me, solving for X starts with what's the profit margin that's acceptable for the type of business you run in the industry you're in and put that as part of the equation so that when you then end the equation, since profit is always built into the margin of the equation, you now know how much you have left to spend on ads or people or you fill in the blank. And then over time, what you start to measure against is solving for X. Do we have room to hire if not, why not? Have we over have we overbought inventory? Are we overextended on acquisition costs? Then you start actually measuring each department as opposed to what I would consider an incomplete equation about so much revenue to employee because there's so many other dynamics that play into that. And so when we figured out solving for X, it made us way better at the ratio of hiring people uh, within a category because then there's industry differences. You know, what you might need in a service company or um, an educational business might be entirely different than a software product or SaaS company. So let me, so when you were building your businesses numerous times now, okay, and, and four of them, eight figures, what was the, like the key thing that really you focused on? Was it the hiring and the, you know, a hiring and scaling to really help you scale that next level? Was it the hiring that was the, the most? Um, I take, I'll take Christian for me. I, I have a high EQ. I do people. I do people nice. over systems. Now there are people who are more systems people. And they're always going to lean into systems. Now, thankfully, I hired a COO who by definition has a personality that's a perfectionist. So she is all about systems and structure. I've had to help her on the journey of people. And she's helped me on the journey of systems. But I am I am always throw a good person at it before I am a system. That's just the makeup I am. So I put a lot of my energy into people and I'm a behaviorist, right? So I've been good at marketing because I pay attention to people. I'm addicted to people. And so I'm always going to take more risk and have a little bit heavier payroll than someone who's a systems person. Nice. I love that. Okay. So let me ask you, was that also like the uh, the pivoting point for your really massive success is being able to delegate something that you're not the best at in your business? Once I got, I realized that I had a hero's complex, then I, the Midas touch that everything I can do, I had to get used to a principle that I had, I've been writing about and talking about for so long. I had to get used to being able to have 70% of the information to make a decision. I'm pretty good at that. Well, the other part of my 70% rule that I wasn't good at is I had to get used to letting other people do something, even in my, if in my mind, it was a 70% as good as I could do it, whatever that was, then I gave them the room to do it. And soon as I let go of being the lightning bolt in our organization and gave people room to grow and run things is really when things change for us. So with that being said, what was that process like? Because I think there's a lot of people that are in your shoes. <laughs> Some medication, a lot. Honestly, be honest. Like one of the things I'm so thankful about is I learned not to be surrounded by some of my core people not being yes people who are afraid of me because I'm the biggest risk taker, who are willing to have an opinion 
And then I would always continually have to work at things. So for me, I have a faith and I have faith in Christ. It's important to me, but some of the stuff that is in there deep is this idea of always being encouraging and uplifting and beneficial with my words for those who are hearing them. And so I have to constantly check at the door, ego and experience and call my shot and give room and train and, and make it bigger than myself and work with other people and give them opportunities. And, and when I continually do that on a daily basis, it, some of it's hard. Some of it is me acknowledging some massive, massive errors. I don't even use the word mistake, by the way, because mistake is lacking accountability, but massive errors I've made for our organization. And I, and I live that in front of our people. And if I, if we're doing a better job than not, we usually have really dedicated people who will fill in those gaps of my massive errors and we just become better as an organization. I love that. I love it. Cause see one of the things that I, one of my mentors, he built an incredible business and he was telling me kind of basically how when he was able to remove himself, the actual business actually exploded because he was the bottleneck. He didn't know everything. And so he was That's able right. to move out of the way. And so I believe um, that, what? by the way, just so your mentor, he and I are the exact same way. I believe a CEO on on a real high level should look more like an advisor and less like an employee of the organization. And I've learned over time to be better at that. I'm probably excelling the best at that now in this organization than all the other ones combined. So what does that look like? Because obviously that doesn't, it's not happen overnight. It's not six months journey, right? No, but what does yeah. that journey look like? And to make sure that we're obviously at that right thing and like, hey, making sure there's a, there's, there's a right succession plan. It's not like, okay, here, wish you luck, have a good one, right? And there's got to be a, a process implemented for that. I think whenever you raise your hand to put yourself into a position, you're just trapping yourself more and more into a high paying job. And so I think you got to do a job. You got to find a way to, on a regular basis, be removing yourself from raising your hand to solve every problem of the organization. One, because there's probably people like you said who are better at solving it. Two, if you want something to be bigger than you, than the shadow you cast on the organization, then you better stop, keep retrapping yourself into things. And one of the telling items is when you say things like, ooh, I can't really afford to hire that person to do something. You need to take risk as it relates to your salary back to the organization. Now, I do think I need to get paid for my company. But I also think there's this balance that if I want something to grow, then I have to allow others to be in a position to make decisions. Well, if you're not doing that regularly and you're, and you're wearing a lot of hats in the company, I think it speaks to this control freak Midas touch. You need to do everything thing. And since I've gone through that, I know what that looks like. And what your mentor said is right. You need to be removing yourself and be daily practicing that. You know, a couple months ago, I got a really bad health thing happened to me. Both of my lungs collapsed. I took two months off from the business, two months. I touched one text message from a friend slash client who was overreacting to something. And all I did is point him back. I say overacting because once he looked at it, he was too. And uh, I pointed him back into the system. I didn't do anything else. Our organization ran just fine. Now, there are parts where people missed some of my vision and mission and leading our team, but as an organization, we probably ran better and we found four or five areas that once again, I should take a step back from. I, I no longer attend our monthly management meeting. I actually took a step back from that and let the COO exclusively run that and then come back to me. And I think that's been an improvement that was forced on us by me not being there. Wow. And that's, that's, 
that's actually a good thing, but it, it had to happen in, in, a, in, a, in a not good way, which is interesting. Okay. So what were some lessons that you learned from that? That was like, now, now you know that. Are you being more intentional in regards to doing that? And um, when you're on mission are, and you love your business and you love the people you help, when you're someone who just like is trained to solve problems, you just want to get in and help. And one of the worst things you can do is assume a role you shouldn't be doing for your organization. It's probably one of the least loving things you can do. So I have to try to withhold. I have to withhold on language that might not be appropriate. I have to withhold on actually picking up and running with something that maybe someone else should be. And maybe I have to withhold on the sometimes the speed of growth. If there's a season that our organization needs something else, withholding um, is sometimes the hardest thing to do for someone who's a problem solver. And um, I just have to practice it daily. It's, it, it's not this thing you just suddenly solve. It's good to have a category to know you're doing it uh, and then just work at making sure you don't keep doing it to yourself. Well, see, one of the things when I was scaling my business, it, it was like, just like what you just said, I remember numerous times when I was like, okay, I can do this faster than this guy. If I just <laughs> ask him, he's going to take forever. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do it faster. But then also long-term, I would always be doing it, right? And so the biggest thing I was thinking, okay, well, what I'm going to do is when he asked me a question, I'm going to tell him exactly how to find the answer so that he could find the answer down the way. And so I would do a Loom video, show him how to find it. I wouldn't do it. I said, this is how you do it go ahead and go do it now. Right. Uh, and then of course, if you ever ask me that question again, I said, did you go watch that video that I just showed you two months ago? And again, what was so beautiful is now we created a, a system where, yeah. Hey, it was becoming less and less and less. Uh, but like you said, it was over a period of time. It didn't happen overnight. And I think sometimes I, th I think that's the right perspective, but yeah. I really want to dive into that a little bit further. So now when you're hitting that really high level and things are really moving, what are certain KPIs, Vinny, that are you noticing, okay, as a CEO, you should be focusing on because you don't want to get too much into the weeds because that's you gave ownership to that, that CMO, COO. That's their ownership. That's their baby. You're, you want to get your hands off of it. But what are some certain KPIs that you should be focused on, on as an organization and that vision? So I'm, I'm going to be really clear. I'm a growth freak. No matter what, things are never growing as fast as I want them to grow. But as an, as an enterprise gets complicated and complex, there are things you should pay attention to. I think all CEOs should have a few indicators that they should be paying attention to. One of them is probably because of the way I'm designed. I always want to know about revenue. I want to know about it from a budgetary standpoint. Did we hit it this week? Are we hitting it this month? I always get a report back to me that's telling me where we are on revenue, pipeline, prospects. I'm not too far away from the sales and growth teams. I just want those numbers. It, it gives me um, an understanding that someone other than me is paying attention to that. I, I, I can't tell you how much of a trigger it is when I hear people say that the CEO shouldn't pay attention to those things. I, maybe I'm just so biased, but I got to know that, that someone cares enough that they're paying attention to that. So that's one. Two, Profit margin. I maybe I've learned so much from my errors that because growth freaks are always worried about the dollar at the top, not the dollar at the bottom. You know, when that shifted for me, I think I should actually get that in, in that report. How did we do this month? And how did that look to last month and last year this time? Where are we at? So my report gives me revenue 
and what's left at the bottom. So I get those two things. And then a couple things. I want to know churn rate. Like I want to know people are leaving because I work so hard forever and I still do. At acquiring a customer, I was less worried about keeping one. And so I had to learn, like, what are the things that are my blind spots, right? That art of war stuff and things that like were my blind spots. Well, I want those in my kind of basic, what I call critical, very high level KPIs, because those are the things that um, usually are the things that are some of the biggest hits to an organization if you're not paying attention to them. So I care about those three. And then as the CEO, I'm more of a brand ambassador of a large organization now. So I'm as close to customer service and complaints as you're going to get. But I want those because I think it helps us on the things that we're going to improve. And I don't, I don't love it. Because I'm always like the most defensive of my baby, but it's the part that's going to allow us to improve if I can embrace being close to the things that we can get better at. Well, and you said this because you you said you hired an operations individual yep. and you're not really the best. However, that operations individual helped you with systems and processes. So what are some things definitely because you wanted to, you know, 10X, you obviously wanted to produce incredible yeah. results. So you had to get good at something you really didn't care for. And sometimes we think about, oh, delegating. Oh, I don't have to worry about it ever again. But you still actually are very involved with that. And so I'd like to see how involved are you, but also how did you adapt to, to uh, be able to consume a skill that you really didn't care for? Well, I, I want to be really super transparent. I am, I am not operationally efficient. I still have very much more of a free spirit, freewheeling person about me. I learned to not be a lightning bolt to the organization before fixing some of those things that I don't think are ever going to change about me. But the thing that I spend a lot of energy on is in my organization is helping people to critically think. So back to your analogy earlier, where you like build out a Zoom, a Loom video. For so long, I've been like, the way I teach class at the marketing school and the board I'm on and the stuff we teach, I continually do this. And some of the best language I heard was in Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. He said, you know, oh, if you want to be a good listener, ask good questions. Like, oh my gosh, that's totally true. So when someone comes into my office and they can be the newest person on the team and they say, hey, what do you think about this website? I don't even give an answer. The first thing I do is say, what do you think? I want their opinion. So I am continually working at helping people have an opinion so they can learn how to critically think. I think one of the things missing from knowledge workers is actually learning and continuing to develop how to critically think. They're just waiting to do someone else's work. And it's really one of the worst things you can build or continue to replicate in your organization. So what am I working on? I'm always working on leadership development. And it comes from the basis of critical thinking. Oh, I love that. I love it because there's this uh, quote that I was listening to. It's not what to think, it's how to think, right? And there's such value behind that. And what is so interesting to me is I think a lot of times, you know, and, and I was talking to my dad about this. He's been in the educational field. And a lot of times when, when uh, a professor would say, okay, this is what I want. This is an outline. And this is exactly what I want in it. And guess what? The A students would give you exactly what you wanted. But it was very, very interesting because my dad would always do the opposite. He would say, this is the baseline. I get it a C but you determine what an A looks like, right? So now all of a sudden, it was more of that critical aspect, like, okay, hey, I can be creative and grow as big as, as I want, but also there was no cap. But I think it's interesting, at what point did you start realizing, okay, this is what my, 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 uh, my skill is that I need to focus all my time and energy on to help uh, really that critical thinking aspect, because I think it's very lost in this culture. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's funny under this kind of like minimum needs, like very Maslowian thinking, like when your basic needs are met. So in organizational throughput, like Deb and I, Deb's my wife, when we reached a certain level of, I guess, worldly success and we paid our bills and we didn't want for much, I was starting able to pay attention to things that gave me fulfillment or joy. And it was like this helping someone to think and do things in our organization. Like there's an objective indicator that everyone in our organization has that he or she has for measuring their own performance. That came over this idea that they didn't have to sit around and wait for Vinny to say, boy, good job. Way to go, girl. You did a great job. None of that junk. That's still important, but it's nowhere near as important. And I started paying attention to like, wait a minute. I actually critically think constantly for us. And I get exhausted when I critically think for others. But when I started recognizing that I, a little wins were when others were critically thinking, and even if it was wrong, but they had an opinion, I found like this part of my soul. Like I was, I thought I was joyful. I would rather you have an opinion, even if it was wrong. And I was early on kind of gifted with that in some business stuff. And I just been doing more and more of that. So you're uplifting irregardless, just because you want to create an atmosphere of growth. I think that's awesome. Um, what, what are some, you know, maybe resources or things like that, that you recommend um, that, that help that critical thinking mindset? That's really good. Um, I think some of the, well, gosh, you know, um, I think that anything that sits within your lane of what you're doing, where you have to get better at, there's like, and I could certainly like put a link in here about like best book reads. By the way, I want to give an aside before I give a specific answer. If you find a book that is helping you in your season or journey, books can have seasons, right? You might not read it the certain way you read it before, you know, but uh, there's only a few that stand the test of time in your own life. But when you find a book or two that are really good, you should be rereading that book. Don't go look for just a new one. Reread those books. And so for me, some of my rereader books are all internal things like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, when I think substantively, I think about um, influence or I think about anything Dr. Cialdini writes in addition to that. Like I just love behavior of customers. When I think about leadership, I'm a Peter Drucker everything. I think about effective executive or everything he writes, but I love more of the, it's always back to a thinking person. And so I would specifically read those books I mentioned, but I would find the ones that speak to you and who you are and what type of leader you are and, and find one or two or 10 and reread them. Now go on a journey looking for another one. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, and this might be a total off, off question, but I want to ask you this because I do understand I had a, someone on my podcast that talks about creativity and you got to surround yourself in situations where you totally get yourself out of the business and, and just be in, in random things that help you think differently and process things differently and just be creative. And so my question to you, Vinny, is what do you do now with a little bit more freedom that is just so totally irrelevant towards your business? It's not even business related that helps you kind of you know, engage that creativity aspect of your, of your mind. Well, one thing I do, I invest a lot of money in is I go join uh, mastermind groups of people that are like, um, set, cause in my world, I'm the center of the world. 
I'm one of the more successful people and people answer into our system. And so I don't get a lot of uh, differences of thoughts or opinion. So I have to go invest to be in other rooms. So I've, I've been doing that for a long time. I highly recommend to do that. Go join the group of, and you'll hear different perspectives. It's almost like they're like an informal advisor to your company. But honestly, probably the place where I get the most perspective is two places. One, I uh, actively mentor young people. I do that in our church setting where I mentor like late high school, early college people. And I do that from life and things. Well, gosh, darn it. You know, out of the youth or the babe comes craziest things. And so my wife works with our really young kids at our church. And I was just having at lunch yesterday, I said, hey, what happened? And she told me three or four things. So I'm around youthful people. It is crazy the difference of their perspective on some of your issues. And so I just had lunch today, right before our show with a young man. And I was kind of talking about life and tax season and first quarter and all the hard stuff. And he threw out two or, two or three nuggets about life. And I'm like, yeah, that's really good. So I just think that if you put yourself in different places, even if you think you're mentoring and you have an ear to honestly listen, we can all have a multitude of counselors if we're honestly paying attention. I love it. I love it. And you're always just willing. It doesn't matter who, what age, where they came from. It's always attaching uh, incredible amount of value for each person. Now, I will they, tell you this. A lot of my friends talk about hobbies and playing and all that. I probably could do better at that. And I'd say that I'm in a season of life where I have to look at the idea, this hobby, and do I have that? Because I'm a voracious reader. Does that count as a hobby? I don't know. Am I doing it? Because I'm always learning. I don't know. But I do think there's some value to that. Probably the biggest hobby set that I'm in right now is some purposeful attention to my own physical health and continuing to be better at that. And so, but the people who are talking about get out, go do something, play, and it ignites creativity. I don't think they're wrong. I just don't think I'm the one to give that advice. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate the transparency. But I love that you just focus on masterminds. Like you said, just adding value and just conversing with all sorts of individuals. Uh, Vinny, I really appreciate the value that you brought on. Uh, just remarkable to see kind of just diving into just the business structure, the systems, your books, and just uh, uh, the kind of the community that you've been able to build. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, Vinny, how can our community, how can our listeners reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm at Vinny Fisher everything. Like if you can't find me, then you just haven't tried. And also, you know, we, through all of this, like, you know, we started to really think bigger about a community because of our size and our responsibility. So we created a thing at Fully Accountable on email. We care at fullyaccountable.com. You can just go right there. Um, and so then we also have a gift for your listeners today. And so we originally built it as fullyaccountable.com forward slash journey with Christian. And if that's still good, we'll leave that link as live. But on there will be access to all of our digital stuff we write and these journeys about scaling your business. All those resources are there free. Well, I guess kind of free. If you got to get access to them, you need an email to get there. So mostly free other than an email, but it's all there for you without any disguised sales pitch. And we just want to help people break through, you know, only 7% of companies get to seven figures. So the journey is now only 7% of companies. So to help them get to eight, we realize it's more operational structure and we have a whole bunch of resources for your people right there. I love that. I love that. And guys, that link will be in the description below. Make sure you consume that content. That is just remarkable. I mean, think about that. He's built four eight-figure companies. That's $40 million, guys, and probably even more. So that is a lot of value right there. Uh, and Vinny, before we let you go, is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? 
you know, whenever it's raining, have a raincoat in the car. <laughs> I love it. And that, my friends, is Vinny Fisher. Until next time, that is Journey with Christian Devon's podcast. And remember, be uncommon if you can. Are you an aspiring side hustler or online business owner that wants to create passive income, but you don't know where, you don't know how to start? Well, go to EvansFamilySideHustle.com, schedule a 45-minute phone conference with myself, Christian Evans, or one of my sales coaches. Again, that's EvansFamilySideHustle.com.